wish I could say that that was the only experience I had with credit cards, but I tended to just escalate from there. In fact, my wife and I uh, amassed about 13 credit cards within about six years of our marriage. In this episode of Getting Money Right, we're going to discuss debt and borrowing. So Leo, do you want to kick us off with a little bit of your story in this area? Uh, my first experience with borrowing was a credit card that actually my dad signed for me to get. I was uh, just barely 18 years old, and he signed for me to get a credit card, which probably wasn't very wise on his part, but uh, I am somewhat happy to say that I've never let him down. He did not ever have to pay the payment for me, but I did end up borrowing probably within three months of getting that credit card, and unfortunately, it was for a car that I bought. I Bought the car, and three months later, literally after the warranty expired, the transmission quit, and it cost me about $1,000 to repair it. And so I put it on the credit card, and it probably took me a little over two years to pay it off. So that was my first uh, experience with credit cards, and I, I wish I could say that that was the only experience I had with credit cards, but I tended to just escalate from there. In fact, my wife and I uh, amassed about 13 credit cards within about six years of our marriage. Yeah, we were 13 credit cards in debt when we started this journey of getting out of debt and getting our finances in order, getting our money right. Wow. And I love that first story or first uh, uh, first time that you've interacted with that. When I think back to my first time, uh, it was uh, my first car. And so I remember um, I didn't have any kind of budget or plan in place. My parents had a friend who was in the car business and we went down to visit them. I think that we must have driven um, to San Antonio or something because I had a used car lot out there. And uh, so it was about six hours away, but we went down there just to buy this vehicle. And and I was excited. Uh, I bought a red Ford Mustang. You know, I was in high school and I thought it'd be super cool to have a, a Ford Mustang. I was excited, but I didn't really have any idea what I was doing on the financial side. So I was entirely kind of trusting on my parents. If I were to say I had any kind of budget, uh, I was working, you know, at the dollar movie theater uh, hourly at like five twenty-five an hour, whatever it was, and so I, I maybe brought in, you know, three to four hundred dollars a month, and so I probably could put about two hundred and fifty dollars a month towards the car, uh, but I went back and I looked at it, and when you add up uh, the car payment, which was two hundred and twenty-five dollars, and the insurance, which was a hundred dollars, and the repairs, which is thirty or forty dollars, uh, and then maintenance and gas and all those little things. Uh, uh, I was looking at, you know, over $350 a month that I needed to have available for the car. And so uh, I think it's funny you said you didn't let your, your dad down because he never had to come in and pay the credit card payments. Well, my parents had to come in and pay the car payment <laughs> a couple of times. Now, it was neat because they were there and able to do that. Uh, but it was an interesting lesson because I worked all through high school and then into college and uh, I wish I had I had had a better grasp on it. I don't I don't regret anything, but I wish I had a better grasp on it and and not been looking back to have my parents pay for things for me, help me pay with the, for the insurance or stretch out the car payment. I think at one point we had most of the vehicle paid down, uh, maybe about half the vehicle paid down, but we had to stretch the payment out because I had to lower my monthly payments because I was going off to college. And so I don't know the exact time, but it took five plus years to pay off because it was right through high school and college, maybe six years. And it should have been done in four. I mean, it was $8,000. It was $8,500. It wasn't an expensive vehicle. It was used, but uh, but it's just a funny story. <laughs> yeah. My wife and I bought and several cars on car payments. And uh, unfortunately, it uh, 
it we never had to stress the payments out, but it was always difficult to make the payments. It yeah. was always it was taking such a big chunk of what we needed to to live on. And somehow we always made it and it's probably me being stubborn enough never to allow that to happen, but also I was willing to take on extra jobs and sometimes work two jobs or two jobs and a part-time job in order to make it, pay it and yeah. do it and all that. So it was it was not a not a smart way to do it. And I wish somebody would have sat us down and said, okay, here's how this worked. If you're going to borrow, here's what that means. This is what it's going to cost you. This is what you're giving up. And so I wish somebody would have done the same thing with me that, you know, should have done with you is to sit down and say, okay, it's not just a car payment, but it's the cost that comes with the car payment. And that's something that my wife and I, when we, uh, when the girls, our two girls uh, started driving, that's one of the things that we stressed. You can't buy a car until you have a job and you could pay your own gas, buy your own insurance and maintain your own car. Those were the three things that they had to do on their own. Because um, we said, if you can't do those things, then you shouldn't be driving. Yeah. No, you yeah. Know, we, it wasn't something we were willing to take on for them. Uh, we thought it was a good opportunity to teach them that responsibility while they were still at home and able to make those mistakes. Yeah, I and mean, I've seen a lot of people that uh, the parents go out of their way to provide a vehicle for their teenager, and then, uh, but they don't provide the wisdom and advice and the knowledge and the need for a job and some of the the backup foundational teachings for their kids. And so then the parents end up out of pocket every month. The kids are not as grateful as they potentially should be. And uh, the sad thing is, is it ends up hurting the parents' finances because maybe they really couldn't afford the extra payment. And now they've picked up $200 a month, $300 a month in the car payment. And and they were thinking of just the payment, but not the insurance. And a teenage driver is expensive because the risk is very high for the insurers. And so uh, there's the insurance and the gas. And of course, teenage drivers are going to have a, a fender bender here or there, unfortunately. And so uh, there's a lot of things that I think people, uh, sometimes we jump in because we're excited and, oh, I'm turning 16 or, oh, I'm turning 18 or whatever the legal driving age is. And sometimes we got to slow down. And that's why we're doing this episode on understanding debt and borrowing and just what are some of the intricacies of this topic. So Leo, do you want to just kick us off on what is debt? Yeah, well, debt in, in its simplest form is money that you owe money that's due to a creditor or somebody that you borrowed from. And there's typically two things that you can do with that. Number one, you can pay it. <laughs> that's it. Uh, when you borrow, you are supposed to pay it back. So that's number one. Number two, if you're the one that lent the money, you can forgive it. So if you'd lend money to someone, you know, you can forgive that person the debt. However, a creditor is not obligated to forgive the debt. So you will owe whatever you borrow. Uh, the responsibility always lies with the borrower. That's something that needs to be understood. And unfortunately, many people who borrow, who get in over their heads, sometimes look at the creditors like a credit card company who can charge pretty high interest rates, as much as 29, 29, 30%. And when they do that, a person who's gotten into it, maybe foolishly without really knowing everything that it was going to cost them, they look at the credit card company and say, well, they're just crooks and they're charging crazy fees and you know, all those things. And it's true, they do charge interest, and that's pretty high. But I don't know anyone that's ever entered in one of those agreements by force. Right. It's something right. that we do willingly. The paperwork's available to us. We can pull up that information at any given time. We know what the fees cost. We know what the late payments are. We know what the default rate is. Unfortunately, people get into it, and uh, they try to blame the wrong person. And I think that's something that is important for every person to understand, is when you get into debt, rarely do you get into debt with wisdom. It's sometimes just 
lack of uh, experience, lack of knowledge. And when you get into it, as soon as you realize that it wasn't the right move, the response shouldn't be, it's somebody else's fault. Hmm. The response should be, it's my fault. When I got my first credit card and I had to put a transmission cost on that credit card, it stung. And I realized, okay, now I have to make this payment on top of everything else that I had to do. And it wasn't it wasn't fun, but I had to do it. And I think that's the important thing for us to, to understand when it comes to debt. It's our responsibility. Uh, we can't depend on other people to try to solve it for us. It's something that we should use as, as a motivation to move us to a healthier place of making financial decisions that are not going to be devastating to us. Yeah, I think most people are just, they're thinking of only the best case scenario when they Mm -hmm. go to borrow. Uh, It it happens when you see an advertisement and you get excited about, oh, I want to buy this new piece of electronics or, oh, I want to go to college or, oh, look at that vehicle. And the salesperson is never going to emphasize the debt structure and the interest rates and the amount of extra interest that you'll pay over the life of the loan. They're never going to sell that. They're going to sell you on all the benefits and the features. And so sometimes we get into this excited momentum going kind of cart before the horse. And all of a sudden we've jumped into an obligation that we weren't expecting or anticipating. But like you said, we're never forced into it oftentimes we're sold into it. And so you have to be aware that if you have stepped into debt, it was a willing decision on your part. And and you can't turn around and be angry at the borrower or at the lender yeah. because they are charging you interest. Uh, that's a business. That's how they make their money. And um, there are some very legitimate places where it's helpful to have access to money to purchase something. And so, so there can be a benefit uh, to economics and to you personally, but you have to be aware and you've got to go in kind of with your eyes wide open. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's important for every person who is in any kind of debt just to realize that that's their responsibility. They, the sooner they own it, the sooner they can take steps toward paying it down and having more of their income that they can use for their own life and their own well-being. Yeah. I like that you said that you can do two things. You can pay debt and then the lender also have the option to forgive debt. And there's kind of a business side and a personal side to this. So if personally you're ever going to lend to someone, understand that you do have the opportunity to forgive that debt, to release the person that you've lent money to. Uh, I personally will not lend money to someone without the mindset that I have already given that money away to them. It's I'm giving this to them. And if they choose or are able to repay it, that's that's a blessing and a benefit, uh, but it's not expected. And so uh, there's a difference on the personal and the business side of this. Now, when we get to the business side, uh, there's a few terms that you'll see tossed around. There's two main types of debt. There's secured debt and there is unsecured debt. So secured debt means that it has been secured by an asset. In other words, you're purchasing something using debt. A lender has given you money, but they're giving you the money to buy an object or an asset that will hold value, something like a house or a car or potentially furniture. Uh, on an extreme case, you can borrow to buy your pet at, you know, whatever, you know, pet.com, whatever the, the local pet retailer is, uh, you could borrow to buy your dog. And that is a secured asset because if you don't pay, they have the right to come take the dog away. Now, that's probably not going to happen. It's not exactly a, a normal scenario, but it happens. And so secured would be secured by an object like your house, your car, your furniture. An unsecured debt would be something like credit cards 
or medical bills, or maybe if you missed a utility payment and you owe debt back to the utilities, like your water or electricity, this is debt that, that they don't have a physical object to hold over you. If you use a credit card, they are not going to come take the computer that you bought with a credit card. They're just going to come after you for the debt. Uh, now, because they cannot come, it's not secured by anything, they're going to charge a higher interest rate. And this goes back to that business mindset of sometimes we get frustrated because, oh, this credit card debt is, or the interest rate is exorbitant and it's, you know, ridiculous and, mm -hmm. you know, it's usurious. How dare they charge us this high of fees? But the reason they do that is because the risk is higher to the business. Uh, with a secured debt, like a home loan, well, they can take the home away through foreclosure and other legal procedures, or they could take your car away if you have a car loan, and that causes them to have a little bit more security in their lending, and so they can afford to give you a lower interest rate and sometimes less ridiculous fees. But we have to realize this is a business mindset, and as you go into this, you have to be prepared uh, for how you're going to handle that. Now, for me personally, I don't know about you, Leo, you might jump in here, but I, you know, whenever I'm thinking about borrowing or using debt for something, I like to always have a sure way to pay for it. Now, I call this the surety principle. Uh, do I have a sure way? Um, if it's a home, when Ashley and I bought our home, we put 20% down so that if we ever had to sell our house, we would have enough equity that the home would stand for the debt, that the value of the home. Now, of course, there are some crazy things that could happen like in 2009 and the market went way down. Uh, but in general, we have a sure way to pay this off. We have a way to get out of the debt and not keep our, not carry that debt with us to the next situation uh, with a vehicle. When you're going to buy a car and you know that a vehicle is going to go down in value the first year that you own it, especially if it's brand new. Well, if you buy a used vehicle, it's going to go down less. And so you could use debt to buy an $8,000 vehicle. But as you pay it down, $1,000 or $2,000 the first year, the, the, uh, the value of it has only gone down $1,000 in that year. And so uh, you have more equity in it where you could sell it back for what it's worth, and you have a sure way to pay that vehicle off. So Leo, how, what do you think on this topic? Yeah, I think especially when it comes to the automobile. If you're buying a used car, obviously you're not going to take as much loss on the depreciation because the depreciation will go down probably the most amount in the first three years of ownership. But still, even when you borrow for buying a used car, you should still put a sizable down payment. This is this is a lesson that my wife and I learned early on. We bought probably the first two or three cars that we owned, we bought on payments with zero down, right? I mean, you I don't know if you've been there, but I've been there several <laughs> times. And in doing so, it put us in a situation, I remember we bought this Ford, and about a year in, uh, Natalie got pregnant. And it was a car payment that we could really do without at that moment because she stopped working, right? She wanted to stay home with the kids, and we both agreed. So we try to go back to the dealer, try to figure out a way to sell it back. Well, we were like three, 4000 upside down. And there was no—we didn't have the money. We didn't have the assets. We didn't have the cash to come to the table with money and walk away from this payment. Yeah. So we were stuck having to make that payment, and that just meant other difficult things that we would have to do. I would have to take on an extra job, or we'd have to give up things that were more important— but because we were caught up in this payment, we didn't have a choice. So fast forward 10 years, we bought a car. Um, we still borrowed for this car, but we put a sizable down payment. I think we put somewhere around five, 6000 down on a car that was worth about sixteen. So almost half or so we put down on it. And about three, two and a half, three years later, I took a pay cut. And we could still afford the payment, but we realized that payment was going to mean 
It just wasn't as important having the car than other things that we wanted to do. Like we were trying to prepay our home uh, mortgage. And so we decided we're going to sell the car. Well, we sold it and we ended up having, uh, I think somewhere around $5,000 come back because we put so much money down, it didn't depreciate enough for us to lose that equity. So we ended up getting almost $5,000 back through equity, but that's because we put the money in on the front end, not because the car, you know, appreciated in value. Yeah. So yeah. again, I think the important thing here is always whenever you borrow, especially for an appreciating asset, make sure that you put something down. And for me, it's a standard 20%. Now for cars, I don't borrow anymore. I just do not borrow for cars, but for a house, at least 20% down. I know a lot of people think three, 5%, 10%, but it, that's just not enough for you to be able to walk away if if you have to. If yeah. you have to move, yeah. you're in trouble because you have to bring money to closing. And that's not a fun thing. And that peace of mind is just, it's priceless. To be able to accept a job offer on the other side of the country, or if you get laid off from your current job and decide that you need to go for six months without an income and to be able to get rid of that debt, to get rid of the car payment, to get rid of the house and move in with family, to have the margin in your life to where if you needed to remove this debt or this obligation of payments from your life, you've got enough margin and equity in there. So I wouldn't, just like you said, I wouldn't take on a car payment without the ability to put a good down payment on it and buy used so that the vehicle depreciates slower then the payments pay it off. So you keep that margin. Uh, I think that the place that I've seen this and, and it hurts, I've seen this so many times. Um, I can think of a couple different couples that I've counseled with. And uh, for guys, oftentimes it ends up being like a $40,000 truck. And that truck, the next year is worth $32,000. Right. But you've only paid maybe two to 3000 in the first year. And so it, it, especially when you have the interest and so the actual principal that you're paying down is low and, and it's a wreck because you're trapped by that debt. Uh, I've seen this with um, young college graduates that they graduate, they get a great job, like a great job. So they're excited and they feel like I deserve the opportunity to purchase a new vehicle. And I have a friend that bought a $50,000 luxury vehicle and their, their salary was around $50,000 a year. And so they're like, I can afford this. Uh, but just as a general rule of thumb, I would recommend to anyone, um, don't buy a vehicle that's more than half of your annual income. So if your annual income is $50,000 a year, don't buy more than $25,000 worth of vehicles. Uh, personally, it, it's hard for me to spend over $10,000 on a vehicle. Uh, we did it with our last vehicle for Ashley. Uh, we got up to around 14000 but we paid cash. And we did that by saving for a long time. So I'm with you, Leo. It, it, it's hard for me to borrow at all to, to buy a car now. I, I would do cash uh, or I probably wouldn't make a purchase at this point in my life. But there are times when I've counseled people to say, hey, as long as you have a sure way to pay, you're able to put a down payment on a used vehicle that will depreciate slower than you pay it off. Don't have any fear about doing that. That can be a good, useful time to borrow because that can get you to and from work. So there can be good times to borrow. Yeah, and borrowing in general, we, we don't want to come across as to say that borrowing is always wrong because it's not. Borrowing can uh, can be something of a you know that that goes toward a benefit in your life, something that you can purchase by borrowing. You may not be able to do without. So, like buying a home, most people do not have the cash to buy a two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar home. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and actually, I remember counseling a couple who were really wise for their age. I got to say, and they were looking at buying a house and they were saving for it. And I said, okay, what kind of house do you want to buy? And they said it was around 250000 And this is about 10 years ago. 
And I said, okay, 200,000, how much do you have saved up? They had about 20. I said, okay, how are you, how much are you saving per month? And they were saving somewhere around $200, $300 a month. Well, by the time that I did the math in 10 years, by the time they got to the 200,000, it would take them 10, 12 years or so. Well, by then the house was going to be worth 320. So they weren't be able to get, buy it with cash. They'd still have to borrow to buy the same home. Yeah. And so the idea there is that there's really, it's very difficult to buy a home without borrowing. And at the same time, you get the benefit of having a home. And a home is not an asset. To me, a home is a liability because it costs you money. It doesn't put money in your pocket, but it's still a benefit. And it's something that I want. I want home ownership. And, and I think it's a good thing to borrow for that. But again, if you do it wisely, you do it in a way that's going to create some margin between you and that payoff amount so that if anything happens, you're able to uh, pay it down, walk away, not ruin your credit, not uh, skimp out on a, on a creditor. That's not something you want to live with. So um, it's really, I mean, I, I would say this, David, that the probably the most important thing about borrowing is be wise, put something down, always, always, always borrow knowing that you can repay. Now, when you buy a house, you know that you could have the down payment, you have the payment that you can pay every month and you have a job. Well, you don't know how long that job's going to last. So mm-hmm. technically, you don't really know that you're going to be able to pay it, but you're going to be able to get another job. If you have a, a degree and you have a good job or you have the skills to get a good job, you'll always be able to get another job, even if there's a gap in income. So that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about having $250,000 in the bank. What we're talking about is have the ability to pay it, having some money set aside, three, six months worth of yeah. uh, budget aside, so that if anything happens, you're not going to miss a payment. You can find that other job, you can replace the income, and you can keep moving forward. Yeah, and I like the, that you use the word budget in there, because that means that you have a budget in place, that you actually have a plan, and when you make this purchase, you know exactly where the insurance is going to come from, both for a house and a car. You know exactly where the car or house payment is going to come from. And it's built into your budget so that you know you're not going to exceed your current income. And ideally, you're going to have that three to six month emergency fund because that is going to give you so much margin and wiggle room if life happens in a bad way. Uh, If you lose your job or if you have a a decrease in your job, Uh, those things happen. And it's okay if you've got the emergency fund ready to roll. So when we talk about borrowing, and uh, I love this idea of putting 20% down on the house because it it helps you to avoid your private mortgage insurance, which is somewhere around $70 to $75 per $100,000 a month. So if you buy a $200,000 house, about $70 per $100,000 is $140 per month that you'd be sending towards private mortgage insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that you don't get any benefit. It, it's just a, an insurance policy to help the lender in case you don't pay. But you never see any of that money back. It's just never. a complete lost cost. Uh, so I love this idea of putting 20% down. But you also have to be aware of the market that you're in. And uh, and just like Leo said, if if you're purchasing a home and home values are rising at 5% or 7%, be aware how much they're going up year over year because you don't want to wait 10 years to buy a home. You want to buy a home sooner than later, but you need to have that margin. And I would much, I would much rather you have the peace of mind of renting and not having the overhead costs and not having the utility costs or the, not utilities, you're going to pay utilities, but not the 
the opportunity for utilities to go out like your HVAC or your, your water heater that is going to be covered by your landlord when you're renting versus owning a home. And so there's just, there's other costs that are built in. Now let's talk just a quick example on borrowing and the different types of home loans that are out there. The two that I'm going to focus in are, are the 30 year fixed mortgage and the 15 year fixed mortgage. And then the idea of what a difference in the rate of interest that you get can mean to you. So right now, kind of the going rate, give or take for a 30 year fixed mortgage, if you have good credit, is somewhere around four, 4.5%. Uh, if you were to get a 5% rate versus a 4% rate, there's a 1% difference. Now that 1% difference, if you're buying a $200,000 home, well, 1% of 200,000 is $2,000. So every year that's $2,000 of interest that would be going to the bank. So if you're paying 5%, that's $10,000 of interest. If you're paying 4%, that's $8,000 of interest. So there's $2,000 of difference per year that just goes to interest based on if you can get a better rate. So it's important to know your credit score and your ability to borrow before you go into a purchase because even a 1% difference, it can seem very small like, oh, my friend got a 5% rate and I got a 1% rate. What does that matter? Well, it can matter several thousand dollars over the course of a year. Uh, when you look at a 30-year fixed mortgage versus a 15-year fixed mortgage, because it's 15 years, the lender has a little bit less risk because it's only a 15-year timeline, and so they will often give you a lower interest rate. Uh, typically, it is about a 1% difference. And so realize that a 15-year fixed rate could give you a 3% interest rate in today's times versus a 4% for a 30 year fixed mortgage. Now, what is the difference in this? If you're able to pay that home off over 15 years, the interest that you would pay if you did a $200,000 home at 3% rate of interest, you would spend about $50,000 in interest over the life of that 15 years. If you were to do a 30 year mortgage and you're gonna pay 4%, you would end up paying $150,000 in interest over the life of that 30-year mortgage. So the 15-year is only $50,000 of interest. The 30-year is $150,000 of interest. You're looking at three times as much that goes into paying off that home just in interest, not paying down the principal. So just be aware as you're borrowing, as you're making these choices, um, that there are different types of loans out there and you need to be aware of what they will do and what the interest rate means and what your credit score means. So, all right, we're looking at different types of debt and unsecured versus secured home loans, car loans. But Leo, what do I do if I find myself in debt and I'm just bogged down and I don't know where to go from here? That's a good question. And it's probably a question that all of you are asking. And really, there's there's three different options for getting out of debt. And the first one is debt consolidation. Now, there are a bunch of companies out there that uh, will consolidate, which means they'll take all your debt, lump them together, uh, give you a lower interest rate that's been pre-approved with all the different credit cards that are out there, and they'll give you one payment, lump all of the balances together, and now you have one payment that you're making to this company, and then they pay each one of your creditors in turn. Now, there are some good, reputable companies out there, and there's some that are not. So the first thing I would caution you is don't go to that uh, without a lot of research. Make sure that the company that's out there that you might be thinking about using, that they are a highly rated by the Better Business Bureau company, that they've been around for at least 15 to 20 years. 
uh, someone that is not going to take your money and then not pay your creditors. And then because ultimately the responsibility lies with you to make the payment, not the consolidation company. So if they don't pay, it's your issue, not theirs. Now you'll, you'll have to chase them down and try to figure that out. But ultimately your creditors will charge you for any late fees or any kind of breach of contract. So that's one option. It's my opinion, it's not the best option, but it is for some an option. The other one is a debt negotiation. Uh, the debt negotiation is similar to the debt consolidation. The only difference is that with the debt negotiation company, they'll charge you a fee up front. It's not built into the payment. They usually charge it up front. And the way this type of debt um, negotiation happens is the, this company will actually act as a go-between you and the creditor. They will send a letter to each one of your creditors to cease and decease all communication, which might trigger a lawsuit. I, I had a personal a case that I did where uh, this gentleman was in this type of situation. As soon as he cut that off, one of the creditors sued him. And the reason they did is they didn't want to lose the opportunity to gain that money because he owed quite a bit of money to this uh, particular company. And they sued not because they knew they could get the money, because they wanted to keep the judgment open so they can pursue it at a later time. So it may trigger a, a, a lawsuit by one of your creditors. Now, most credit card companies won't sue you, but equity line of credits, those kind of things, they definitely will. And they have the right to. And they have the right to. So that negotiation really kind of boiled it down to this. They use the pressure of time and the pressure against the credit card companies to force them to negotiate to a lower price than what you originally borrowed. So if you borrowed, let's say, 10000 they're trying to get pennies on the dollar. So they'll try to negotiate that down to five, three thousand, two thousand dollars $2,000. And that sounds really attractive. But realize that in the meantime, while you're building up all this equity with this company because you're sending them a payment every single month to build a, this savings account that they can negotiate then with the credit card companies for a lower rate. Your credit is shot during this period. And once you negotiate the debt and let's say you pay pennies on the dollar, then your credit record will show that for somewhere between five and seven years. So it it is the most damaging you can do. I think it's worse than bankruptcy, honestly, because bankruptcy, even though I don't agree to it and it's not an answer, at least if you do it, you do it, it's done, and then 10 years later, you know, kind of start over. With this, it just drags on. It could drag on a lot longer, unfortunately. It just yeah. depends how long it takes. The the really scary thing here is that a lot of the debt negotiation companies, they take that big fee up front, yes. and then they say they're going to hold your money for you in a little account to the side, and they keep, again, they'll continue to keep half of it even as an additional payment towards them. And so they're telling your creditors, they're saying, David doesn't have any money and he can't pay you anything, but at the same time, they're receiving $500 a month from you or $1,000 a month from you. And they're keeping it in an account and they're taking some of them money for themselves, but they're telling other people that you have no money. And it feels a little bit deceitful when you're having a company do it for you. And the scary part is uh, for years, a lot of these companies ended up taking all the money and just going away and disappearing into the night and people were getting completely scammed by trying to work with this now that's just horrible because you think about the business model of that these people are preying on people who are in debt and who are broken financially and who need help and now they're actually making it even worse by scamming them uh, it's despicable but it happens so you have to be aware as the consumer if you're going to look into this it's a very um it's a very tumultuous place to shop. <laughs> Definitely not something I would recommend. Uh, I just don't think it's it's uh, morally the right thing to do. If you borrowed, you should try to pay it. It doesn't mean, uh, let me say this, it, just because you borrowed 
doesn't mean you necessarily have to pay that back exactly the same amount with the fees and everything else. Credit card companies will negotiate and work with you. If you work with them directly, if you save the relationship and not run from them or run to them, they will forgive some of the fees. I, I know this has happened with people that I work with. They'll forgive fees. They will remove a certain amount of debt. They'll reduce the debt. Um, they'll, they'll do quite a bit in order to save that account and not lose you as a customer for life because that's what they want and to get some of their money back. It's kind of built into their model. That's why they charge such high interest rates because they know some people will default. Now, it's not a high percentage of people that default, but some default. And uh, just know that this type of uh, debt negotiation or debt consolidation, it really, let me say this, it's giving a problem to someone else to solve. And that's a problem because if you don't fix your own problems, then you're bound to repeat them. <laughs> yep. And my uh, recommendation to all of you guys as you're listening to the show is if you have debt, and I know it's crushing, I know it's difficult, I've been there, I understand the pain of it, my recommendation to you is own it. Um, get responsible, put a plan in place. We've developed some resources that are available on the website, on leosabo.com. You can pull up a, a debt uh, snowball. Uh, form that will help you. We have a video on there that'll show you how to actually use it. And the cheapest and the best option for you in dealing with your debt is to do it yourself. You will learn more than just, you won't just get out of debt. You'll learn so much through the process. You'll learn about how to actually negotiate these debts, how to work with creditors. It'll make you a better, um, more, a wiser financial person by going through it. And I think that's something that is priceless because I know that part of what taught me about finances is dealing with this pain and then facing it head on and then learning how to navigate through it, how to pay down the debt and get to a place of, of, uh, of stability. So I would just encourage you to use the resources that we have on leosabo.com on those resources and use the debt snowball. It'll work so much better than you trying to hire somebody to do it for you. Yeah. And if you have 30, 40, $50,000 in debt, and you can make a list on that debt snowball form at leosabo.com slash resources. If you can make that list, and then you can also create the budget, again, on the same website, if you create the budget, and then you show your creditors, here's how much I have coming in, and here's how much debt I have, it'll create a more clear picture for them as you communicate, hey, you might have 5, 10, 15 different creditors that you owe money to, and so they're not the only one. And that will cause them to negotiate differently because they realize there's a chance that if they push you too hard, that if you owe forty dollars or $50,000 and you're only earning maybe $2,000 a month, maybe you lost a great job where you were able to pay all your payments, and now you've had to take a smaller job in the meantime, they're going to recognize that and they'll be more likely to work with you if you communicate clearly with them. And those are the skills that you're learning. And, and I know it's a tough season because you're getting the phone calls and you're getting hammered and these people are using tactics, emotional tactics to make you feel bad so that you will uh, emotionally react and send money to them. They do that on purpose. But realize, get some people in your corner that love you, that care about you, that can encourage you, and you go negotiate this. You go show them the debt, the, the debt snowball. You go show them your budget and let them know you want to pay. Your heart is not that you're trying to borrow money and then run away. That, that wasn't the goal. Something bad happened in your life or a medical emergency or something unplanned occurred. And so now you are at a place that's really tough. So uh, the debt snowball is really important. Yeah. Well, Leo, how about we just close out with a few parting thoughts and then uh, let's move on. Yeah. So let's just finish off with saying this. 
Don't borrow unless you're putting something down. Borrowing is not bad, but you should do it wisely. And putting some kind of down payment, 20% or so, to give you that margin to be able to uh, have some breathing room and be able to make the payment. And if you have to, sell the item or sell the house or whatever the asset is so you can walk away not having to owe anybody anything. And then use wisdom whenever you borrow. Seek a friend out that is managing money well. And when you make that decision to borrow, Run it by somebody. If you're thinking about buying anything that's more than $500 to $1,000, especially if it requires borrowing, seek a friend, seek a family member, a parent, and ask, is this wise for me to do right now? And just getting that person's feedback, I think, would be important to give you that wisdom you need in the moment. Because in the moment, we want to buy what we want to buy, but it's really crucial that we get that wisdom at the time when we need it the most. Yeah, that outside counsel is so important. If you're married... You have to be in unity before making a decision. Don't borrow on anything without being in complete unity and uh, being taking the time to have wisdom and, and really sit down and count the cost and understand exactly what you're getting into. It's so important. So thank you for joining us for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening so that more people can find us. You can also subscribe to the podcast while you're there. That will help us to produce more podcasts for you. And don't forget, you can always share this podcast on your favorite social media platform. It would mean a lot to us if you'd put this out on Facebook or on Instagram or wherever you're sharing, maybe even just bring it up at work tomorrow. That would be a huge blessing for us. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together we can keep keep getting getting money money right. right. And ideally, you're going to have that three to six month emergency fund because that is going to give you so much margin and wiggle room if life happens in a bad way. And the cheapest and the best option for you in dealing with your debt is to do it yourself. You will learn more than just, you won't just get out of debt. You'll learn so much through the process.